You are listening to Sounds Like Science. Sounds Like Science. Sounds Like Science. With Professor Chris Scott and Dr. Simon Foster. Hello, welcome to episode 28 of Sounds Like Science. Simon, it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to get together to do this. I uh, know, sorry, it was a uh, kind of rather hectic term. I had a lecture, but now my, my course is finished yesterday, so I'm kind of demob happy now. Crikey, so only yesterday. Yeah I, was, I, yeah, I was lucky. I kind of breathed out at, tw- at one o'clock yesterday and I was like, it's done. But uh, yeah, then I then had to kind of do some real work. But uh, yes, we're back, finally. All kinds of exciting things have been going on in the meantime. Yes, but, um, which I can try and make miserable in just in time for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Suck all the fun out of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted, to go, I wanted to go medical to start with. Oh, okay. Um, uh, so there have been two stories come up recently. There's this breakthrough in the treatment of Huntington's disease. Yes. And, and I was just... Ah, that's just such a positive story. In the, and this is um, a research team at University College in London. They've used an experimental drug which they've injected into the spine of um, people with... A, it's a genetic uh, predisposition to have this disease. And it's safely lowered levels of toxic proteins in their brain. So they have a... Um, as far as I can understand it, the way that uh, Huntington's disease works is that there is a, a genetic fault, if you like... Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so an error in the in the DNA, and this this should contain instructions to make a protein, and and that protein is important for the development of your brain. But because there is this this sort of typo, if you like, in the genetic structure, it turns it into a a killer of brain cells, and so gradually yeah. you, I mean, it's. It's, 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 not sounds... a, it's not. A, it's a horrible disease. And I was going to say, yeah. When I read this, it, it kind of. I hope because it's still in the trial phase, isn't it? But the trials have all come through. And if it is, as you say, it's just wonderful because reading about it, it just sounds horrible. And yeah, you know, and it's wonderful that science can actually do something about this. Well, they describe it as a as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and motor neurone disease all rolled mm. into one. Um, and I've I've known people with each of those but not all of those yeah just sounds really 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 um uh, well astonishingly horrible what's a horrible end um but as a consequence of this treatment uh, it seems that you can inhibit the build-up of this protein in the brain and that's the thing that appears to be the um causes the The issue yeah yeah, the issue so um it's an incredibly uh yeah, positive story. Um, it was carried out at the Leonard Wolfson Experimental Neurology Centre at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery in London. Um, and yeah, it all seems to be showing that the drug's safe and well tolerated by the patients and critically reduces the level of this, uh, this, this protein in the brain. So what, what a positive story. And then that's in the news. Um, I mean, these neurodegenerative diseases are really been a, a sticking point um, and mm. so t- to see that there's there's uh, um, progress there and then this morning there's a story about 
haemophilia trials that have just had astonishing results. So haemophilia, I'm trying to remember from my O-level uh, <laughs> biology. Well, at least you passed it because I found Jesus. Biology. It's where your body doesn't make uh, enough platelets so the, the the blood doesn't doesn't clot as much maybe it's not the platelet, mm. platelets but it's certainly it's your, your blood doesn't clot so if you cut yourself it's a big deal um, yeah and uh there was again this is a genetic uh, def- a genetic defect again which means they don't produce a particular protein they need and in this trial uh, at bart's health uh, nhs trust um 13 patients were given gene therapy um Sorry, 13 patients that were given the gene therapy are now off treatment with 11 producing near normal levels of the protein. And they had, so uh, they're basically in remission from, from this uh, uh, condition that they have. Um, so it's just, just, just amazing that, 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 um, that they've, this, this procedure has been developed, which, which uh, can actually cure people of a, a genetic problem. I think the wonderful thing about this is hopefully, as you said about with the Huntingdons, it was kind of three of these awful diseases all rolled into one. It's more as well the spin out, hopefully, from all this that actually it can lead to kind of cures or kind of solutions to other illnesses. That, you know, this is just the first kind of steps, if that makes sense, to a, a what, solving wider problem. Because, yeah, a lot of these genetic conditions really, you, you end up just treating the, the the symptoms but you know the patient unfortunately gets steadily worse and worse and worse you're not actually curing it all but it sounds like they're actually getting to a problem where you can halt its progress which is the main you know which is fascinating and, and, and wonderful and i because i remember when i was at school uh, we, we were learning about these uh, genetically modified um, methods of curing people and they seem to just go away i remember there was a it was i can't remember what it cystic fibrosis and it didn't seem to work and i remember being at school and there was a lot of talk about it and then it seemed to disappear and i I don't you know all the early promise seemed to have been set back but it looks like they've kind of people have gone away and just kind of researched under the radar almost and then now it's you know decades later it seems to be coming back people understand a lot more about that early promise and it seems to be coming into fruition which is just Amazing, really. The quote I like is on the BBC website. Professor John uh, Pazzi, Pazzi, like P-A-S-I, apologies if I mispronounced that terribly. He led the trials at Barts and Queen Mary's University Hospital of London. And his quote is, this is huge. I think about some <laughs> <laughs> Why bother talking more like I do? <clears throat> might as well just say that. And well, of course, <laughs> of course he does. But I think that, that, that is just a, a wonderful wonderfully succinct way of, of summing that up so hope for people with genetic conditions and let's hope that all of this can be uh, rolled out yeah, to help wonderful. people in the future but uh, I, let's carry on talking about life but the potential of life on an interstellar invading spaceship you're going to tell me about yes it seems to have kind of uh, a lot of people getting genu- uh, very excited about this kind of cigar shaped object that seems to be flying through uh, the solar system from another solar system so whatever it is it is genuinely excited that a body from another solar system has entered our solar system that is fascinating and yeah. you know and it is wonderful but it, it, you know there's a lot of talk people are starting to listen to it which i don't have a problem with just in case because you can't rule anything out that's the whole point of science you should study everything yeah but i think that the big problem is and mine is is because we haven't seen anything like this before People are therefore saying it must be aliens. 
And what you've got to understand is, and I was trying to talk to a lot of people, a lot of my friends about this, and say, we really don't know a lot about our solar system, our galaxy, the universe. And just because we, we haven't seen something doesn't mean that it's unnatural. It's actually a way of learning more about the solar system sure. in our neighborhood. It, it, it just reminds me of uh, Arnold Rimmer in Red Dwarf, <laughs> that everything that he came across would be aliens. And it just seems to be this, that everything has to be aliens. And I, I don't want to put a bummer on it, but I actually think the spin of it is that actually by studying it, it's great in terms of solar system, planetary science, you know, astronomy. We learn more because the more of these things we see, what we consider normal, what we believe is normal, actually we start to realise maybe isn't normal. Maybe, yeah. the, you know, we're the odd ones out. And I, I, I just think from that point of view, it's fascinating. This, you know, I can't get over it that this came from another solar system. Yeah, that is amazing. It, it's me. called uh, Oumuamua, which means a messenger from afar arriving first. Yeah, I don't think that name helped once you translate <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a loading Against name. the alien thing. <clears throat> It's interesting that just by looking at it, it's got a reddish colour. That's often the colour that organic compounds go if you irradiate them mm. with cosmic rays. Um, and its its measurements suggest it has a dense structure. It's comprised of rock and metal. Now, that's the metal thing that gets people excited, but this is a perfectly natural part of planetary formation. Yes. Most uh, asteroids, or sorry, meteorites that fall to ground on Earth are, are metal. And that's because in the early proto-solar system, you had all these planets evolving. And just like the Earth, all the heavy stuff, when they melt, all the heavy stuff sinks to the bottom. So we have an iron core in our planet. Um, but if that planet gets smacked apart, you've just got basically ball bearings. <laughs> um, and, and, that's what, and that's what... So it's not surprising that this thing is very dense and made of metal. Mm. It, but it tells us that it has an origin that is part of a, a sort of proto-planetoid that perhaps got uh, um, you know, smashed apart or... This elongated shape of itself we saw with the uh, the, the comet that uh, Rosetta visited that that yeah. was that appeared to be the sort of amalgamation of two Oops. cometary bodies that made it look a bit like a rubber duck. So the fact that you can get these things stuck together and making extra long um, shapes is not surprising either. But the fact that it's I mean they know that it's a dimension because they can see it tumbling and they can see from the light mm. curve. So anything that's tumbling doesn't doesn't strike me as being a spaceship <laughs> or well, indeed a spaceship. The, the argument is now that its uh, engine has failed and it's oh. out of control oh, yeah, so okay. that's the that's the issue uh, so yeah, of course. unfortunately well, they've we're, broken we're, down we're back to red dwarf all over again <laughs> <laughs> but i think nasa are also making a announcement today from i believe it is it kepler the the planet hunter uh-huh so uh, another planet that's that a little be. bit more like earth than the last planet earth was. And, yes or they've they've found hundreds of planets but maybe <laughs> not earth-like and I'm, I'm not this in nasa but uh sometimes yes they they kind of get everyone excited and then they go and then i think it is this is the problem i think this is the real problem sometimes with these press releases that we as scientists get very very excited about things and then the public, what we get excited about isn't quite what the public... So we say there's a planet, and the general public automatically think, oh, aliens. But we go, no, it's brilliant, there's a planet. And we, and isn't that great? And everyone's just kind of, oh, okay. I explained this to my wife when they found methanogens. They, found, they may have found methane yeah. on Mars. Well, they did find me. And it, it might have been coming from bacteria. It may have been called methanogen, which is the same as in your gut. And I came home terribly excited about it. And my wife just went, hmm, 
Okay, so what? And I was like, do you not understand? And she was like, oh, have they found, can we talk to them? No. Oh, okay, I don't care. So I think there's sometimes that massive disconnect from what we as scientists, and it is amazing, you know, they are finding planets and some of them could be Earth-like. But I think well, sometimes some of my friends say, you know, expect aliens. Yeah. So it's the, the kind of the, the Arnold Judas Rimmer complex that we need to kind of overcome. And, and it's this kind of Venn diagram that we need to kind of get in between, between Rimmer and kind of scientists and that, that space in between us. And hopefully we're bringing us closer together. Well, there's another story that NASA have put out today, and that's that it's New Horizons probe. This is the probe that shot past Pluto and sent back those amazing images. They had redirected it to move on to another object uh, in the, the Kuiper Belt, this region, the sort of rubble left over from the building of the mm. solar system. And they've just realised from Earth-based observations that it could quite possibly have a moon. So they're going to get a, a, mu- wow. a really interesting system to fly by. Um, so they're all made up about that. New Horizons is heading towards this um, it's probably about 30, 40 kilometer, kilometer wide object, but it's got a little moonlet. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's far it's away as it amazing. can possibly be, and it's going to be some, something that's a lot more complicated than we perhaps thought it was. It's amazing, though, that, that you, if you think about it, that they can just redirect this mission. It's just out there. The complexity... Now, we, we kind of say that, you know, they just go go and have a look. The complexity involving that of changing the spacecraft's kind of orbit or trajectory is unbelievable. And, it, it you know, the, just the time frame in actually communication between it and getting back here is, you know, it's not like, you know, on your PlayStation where you just kind of move it and off it goes. It's <laughs> unbelievable. But it's it, just fascinating that they can do that. Yeah, it's uh, it will be 6.5 billion kilometres from Earth on the day of the flyby, which is New Year's Day and Christmas Day uh, 2019. Oh, okay. Oh, that's fascinating for next Sorry, year. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day 2019, yeah. <clears throat> oh, wow. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, I should point out, it's also, while we're still on the kind of rocky objects, it's the Perseid meteor shower for the next few days. Is it Perseids oh, or no, the Geminids? Geminids, yeah. Geminids, sorry. It's a Geminids meteor shower in the next few days. So if any of you are up, now my son's sleeping in. I miss these things, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> I don't need to get up till six. Yeah, I normally manage to stay up until about nine and then think, you know what, <laughs> my bed's... I think it's so early morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> early morning's the best time <laughs> because that's when the Earth's mm. atmosphere and its planetary motion gives it the greatest gives apparent it, velocity with these particles coming into the atmosphere so they burn they burn but tear them apart the yeah. yeah but so, if you're up look it'd be great i think uh, it'd be important to have uh, uh, a look if you can because it's yeah it's they're beautiful if you can get to see a good meteor shower says the man who's probably going to just stay in the warm tonight <laughs> <laughs> talking of warm actually talking of yes oh I was going to say we were going for the same pun there, but mate, are we going for the same story though? I think so. I was I was going to unfortunately look at California, yeah, you know, for, you know and the, the ravages, the uh, the fires are seen out there. It's uh, yeah, uh, it's it's not good, and unfortunately we, we're starting to see climate change predictions come real, which uh, I hope I hoped wouldn't happen. Yeah, the rapidity of these extreme events. I think probably the mm. last time we cast a poll it was around the time of hurricane harvey and there's yes. a, a new story here that they've worked out that there was a hundred and hundred and twenty seven billion tons of water dropped out of out of that that storm system 
127 billion tonnes or 34 trillion gallons. One person asked me how many football stadia that is. That's 26,000 <laughs> New Orleans Superdomes, said Adrian Borso from the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. See, it's, it's, once you've got that size figure, even breaking it down into football stadiums, yes. you can't imagine what 26,000 Superdomes looks like. <laughs> anyway, I'm dragging it back it's, to Hurricane Harvey, but yeah, the Californian fires are just another example of an extreme weather event. It's just crazy, and they, they they also had flooding uh, previously, didn't they? They had a drought for fifteen years, and that was apparently the worst, the worst drought California seen. In looking at kind of geological records, they believe for a thousand years. Wow, the worst drought in California for a thousand years. Then they had flooding, and it's weird because they've had, because they had a large amount of rainfall, actually it created a lot of vegetation. And then when they had this kind of heat wave recently, that vegetation all dried out. So it's almost a kind of perfect storm. It's feeding back on itself. You suddenly get a lot of vegetation growth because it rained. And then that rain is therefore, you know, drying out in a heat wave. And you've got this dry material that's just flashing off. And it's kind of, it's hard not to say we told you so. Because that doesn't help anyone. Mm. I think it's just, I think the the, the take-home effect of this is, is, that these things are happening we're starting to see them let's not make it worse you know this is the tip of the iceberg let's move from here and obviously california is actually trying to keep with the paris accords i believe sure. so you know where trump has pulled out you know a lot of a lot of american states have you know said this is real they're seeing it let's carry on so you know fingers crossed we can because i think there was another piece in the paper saying that it's looking like some. If we don't do something, some of the worst predictions, as in a four-degree increase in temperature, are looking more likely, rather than those being the extremes in our model. Obviously, there was a range; so it was about yeah. one and a half, two degrees. Now it's looking like four degrees might be, and and that it is frightening. You look at sea level rise and stuff like that. Again, the positive story is we can do something. Yeah, and, and also we can miss against these things control. if we know they're going to happen. We, yes. just, we just need to, to know their complexities. Goodness me. So, fingers crossed. Sorry, that's me being uh, downing on two. <laughs> let's try. Hopefully, well, we can. Uh, well, let's pick talk it about up. let's talk about extinction on a wider program. <laughs> because you had a story about um, a dinosaur parasite. Oh. Yes, there's this tiny little dinosaur parasite uh, that was trapped in amber, and it was still mm. clinging onto a feather. As well, which is wow. the, the, the amazing. So obviously you see in Jurassic Park where they've got these little ticks and mosquitoes and they drill in and they get the blood. Whether or not, well, I suspect that isn't possible. No, it is. But with this, it, it, it's not just that, but obviously it, there's this link. It, it, it's fascinating, obviously, it's got dinosaur blood there. These ticks existed, hundred. I believe it was 100 million years ago. Uh-huh. But also, it's got a feather, so it's, it's adding more weight to this link between obviously that you know dinosaurs, possibly lots of dinosaurs were feathered. Yeah, and, I went. And, I know, went modern day I, birds. Over the summer, I went to there was an exhibition of Chinese dinosaurs up in the uh, uh, up in Nottingham uh, called the Chinosaurs exhibition, and they oh, and wow. the Chinese dinosaurs the, the the preservation of them is sufficiently good that you can see that many you can see all the feathers you can see these these missing links so when i was a kid um i my ambition i remember writing very geekily in our school magazine i wonder if anyone still got it that my ambition was to find the fourth archaeopteryx because there'd only been three found i found out last night that there's, there's 12 been found <laughs> so i missed that <laughs> but archaeopteryx was the only was the missing link between 
reptiles mm. and birds because he was this bird-like thing that had claws and teeth but had feathers. And now in China, they're pulling out so many of these 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 uh, these birds, bird-like dinosaurs, and it shows that they've got ancestors of Tyrannosaurus rex that had feathers. So it's quite likely that, that yeah. even, even Tyrannosaurus rex had feathers. And if you think about it, if you if you had to reconstruct what a chicken looked like from the bones, which is mainly all, largely all that we've got for most dinosaurs, it would look really like a dinosaur, you know, a plucked yeah. chicken. But we're, we're used to seeing them with feathers. But, of course, without the evidence, you can't put that on. So that's that's really all coming, coming uh, together now. Uh, there was another story about um, a, a new... Uh, species of plesiosaur that's been discovered um, and I just I, I take issue with the description uh, it says on the BBC website with tiny heads and long necks and four pointed slip, po- slippers four pointed flippers plesiosaurs have been likened to Scotland's mythical Loch Ness monster no <laughs> Scotland's mythical Loch Ness monster <laughs> has been likened to plesiosaurs because we know plesiosaurs actually existed <laughs> Anyway, this was discovered in Germany. It's a, uh, a, 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 a new uh, type of plesiosaur. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're saying that they were probably warm-blooded from the skeleton, that as a result they were able to survive the mass extinction that wiped out most of the living things. But uh, it eventually, uh, yeah, the evolution of the planet got them in the end. Um, but, well, they uh, might be in Loch Ness, though, yeah. if they survived... <laughs> <laughs> but just again just the way scientists found the skeleton buried in a clay pit uh, and the creature had a very stiff neck well you think it did <laughs> <laughs> oh dear no but anyway it's always exciting I think you know I think even now we are finding new types of uh, new species of dinosaur I think you know, most of the species of dinosaur that have been discovered have been discovered this this uh, this millennium uh, and so paleontology is just coming on leaps and bounds. It's very exciting to see. And it's getting to the point now where you know, they can say, OK, well, we've got this animal here, which we think evolved into that animal there at this later time. So we need to look in some rocks that are of sub-intermediate age and we'll go and yes. look there. So they're actually targeting their digs to go and find these missing links and build up yeah. the picture of evolution. And there's not one occasion yet where they've been proven wrong. I, so I, as I say, I, it's not like people are just stumbling over them. Like did in the early days. There's actually, you know, a, a, a methodology now. We will go here, and we've. I just, to me, I find it fascinating because ge- geologically, a hundred million years is quite a small time frame mm. over which you see, you know, to, to see this evolution occurring. You know, when you, even in solar space science, hundred million years is not a particularly long time. Mm. You know, and, and geographically, you just see this wonderful development of life on Earth. In, in, in what is you know as human beings we consider it you know an age in terms ge- geologically it's nothing and it is amazing how you know we can see these in these tiny you know millimeters of dust well yeah. and on that philosophical note oh yes <laughs> <laughs> thanks simon it's been great talking to you, you have thanks a, you Chris. have a great christmas and we'll try and catch you up too. sometime in the new year merry christmas you have been listening to Sounds Like Science. Sounds Like Science. Sounds Like Science with Professor Chris Scott and Dr. Simon Foster. Tweet us at SL Science.